Well, we're looking this evening at one verse, verse 33 of John 16. It's Jesus' last words to his disciples before he starts in to pray. It's his last words of teaching. He will say things like, stay here a while while I go over there and pray. He'll say things like, he'll give instruction uh, to them what they're to do. But really, this is his last teaching um, before he offers his great prayer, is then arrested and he's whisked away from their sight. And in this one verse, he sums up a lot of what he said before this in chapters 13 uh, to 16. It's his final summary. He says, I have told you these things so that you, sorry, sorry I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He says, I have said these things. Now what things? The things you were looking at this morning? Is that it? Well, remember that this teaching stretches right the way back into chapter 13 after he's washed the disciples' feet and Judas has left them. Jesus has been teaching them and then at some point they've gone outside and they're walking through Jerusalem, through the streets, outside the city walls and out into uh, the, up the Mount of Olives towards the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's been teaching all along the route. And these things most likely refers to all of that because He's been telling them things to give them peace. He's been speaking about the trouble and he's spoken about the future victory. Remember how it really started in John 14 uh, where he said uh, that he was going to prepare a place uh, for them. He said, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't be troubled. You've reason to be troubled. But the future's secure. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me where I am. And then, uh, towards the end of the chapter, he speaks to them of the peace that's theirs. Um, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. He then goes on to speak about The coming Holy Spirit who's going to um, strengthen them, who's going to uh, assure them, who's going to reveal to them truth. He's going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. He's spoken about these things to show them that their faith is not in vain and their task is not pointless. He's spoken to them about him being the vine and them being the branches and if they remain in him, they will inevitably and certainly bear much fruit. Their lives will be fruitful. He's spoken to them on several occasions of the deep love that the Father has for them. The Father himself loves them. These things I've told you, Jesus says. The Holy Spirit is going to work through them in the world. There will be hostility. They will have grief, but even that grief will turn to joy, and that joy will not be taken away. We saw that on Thursday evening in John 16. Um, 
He uses the illustration of a woman giving birth and the very thing that brings grief also brings her joy. And verse 22, so with you, now is the time of your grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. And over and over again, he's spoken about answered prayer. We saw that this morning as well. Ask in my name and it will be given you. These things, Jesus says, I've told you, these things you've heard, so that in me you may have peace. You're loved. There'll be trouble. You're not alone. I will answer when you call. You have a future and a hope. And now he sums it all up. Um, And I want us to, to consider it under two headings. First of all, you live in two locations. You live in two locations. You can see it very clearly in the text. So that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble. Two locations. In Christ, in the world. In Christ we've got peace. In the world we have trouble. So first of all, you live in Christ. Verse 20 of chapter 14 Jesus says, you are in me, and I am in you. Chapter 15, verse 4, remain in me. Remain in me. Chapter 15, verse 5, if a man remains in me, he will bear much fruit. In me, in Christ, is our new location. We believe into Christ. It's not just that we believe in Christ the way that uh, people believe in fairies or believe in Santa Claus or don't believe in Santa Claus. The word that's used in the original language is to believe into Christ. The way somebody jumps into a swimming pool, they, they entrust themselves fully to the water. They jump in. They don't just go, oh, I believe in that. We believe into it. We've thrown ourselves wholeheartedly and completely into Christ. And what he's done, we're saying, I'm with him. I'm in his way of going. Paul's always talking about being in Christ and in him. Christ is our head and we are his body. We're in him. In him we have all the safety and security and relationship, and blessing, and honor, and love from the Father that Christ himself has, because we're in him. You know, like my blood is in me. It goes where I go. It enjoys, in a sense, the health that I enjoy. We are in Christ. That's our new location. In the Garden of Eden, God asked Adam, where are you? And from Genesis through to the Gospels, that's been the great question. Where are you? We were lost. And until the Holy Spirit opened our eyes and we realized that we were lost, we were lost too. But now when God says, where are you? We say, we're in Christ. We're in Christ. We're in your Son. We're joined to Him. Paul uses it slightly differently in in Romans 5. He says we were 
We were once in Adam. We were with him whenever God said, well, where are you? Adam was hiding from God. We were, we were in Adam. And we were doomed because we were in Adam. But now we're in Christ. And that's our safety, our security. As in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall live. Paul writes, you're in Christ. That's your anchor. We've used that phrase before. Uh, Christ is in you. That's the engine that drives us. That's the assurance that, um, that, that we can make progress. Christ is in us. But Jesus' point here is you have a new location. You're in him. You're joined to him. You're, you're with him. So that's your, you are in Christ. That's the first location. The second location is that you are in the world. You've got a second address. You're in the world, the world that's broken, the world that's marred, the world of sickness and illness and disease, the world where there's difficulty and trouble, the world that's hostile to Christ and to Christianity. That's your address. You live in the world. And Jesus tells us that in the world you will have trouble. He doesn't expect us to withdraw from the world like the monks used to do or the people that went away out into the desert and lived at the top of poles um, on little platforms, the top of poles in the desert. Uh, they, they were looking to get away from the world. But we're in the world. We're not to withdraw from it. It shouldn't surprise us that it is what it is. You're in the world, but you're in the world differently because you're in Christ. You live in two locations at once. You're in Christ in the world. Not just in the world, but you're in Christ in the world. It's a bit like being in a submarine in the ocean. It's very different from being just in the ocean. Being just in the ocean, well, you're, you're doomed. You're, you're, you suffer all of the, the forces and all of the pressures of being in the ocean. But in the submarine, in the ocean, we are people of two addresses. We are in Christ and in the world. And we'll see how this works out in a moment. What impact this has. It's in Christ that we live in the world. It's in Christ that we face temptation. Satan wants us to make a us just think that we live in this terrible world and we're kind of abandoned on our own. And Christ says, no, no, you're in me. It's in him we face the temptation. It's, it's in him we, we live with family. It's in Christ that we cope with scorn. It's in Christ that we cope with illness. How often do we forget our primary address? Or how often do we venture outside the submarine and then wonder why? It's so tough to live outside the submarine, outside Christ. In Christ, there's security and affection and assurance. The world around us puts pressures on us. And the world around us struggles with all sorts of things. And if we only live in the world, well, one writer uh, sets out four areas of difficulty. He talks about identity. The world pushes at us all sorts of fleeting identities. Get your identity 
from your gender. Get your identity from your sexuality. Get your identity from your job. Get your identity from your studies. Get your identity from your relationship. Who am I? And people don't know who they are. Or the world struggles with destiny. Where am I going? What comes next? What should I be living for? Or purpose? Why am I here? Do do this. This is what you're here for. This is what you should be doing. And then you don't achieve it. And then your whole sense of purpose falls apart. The world. If we only have our address in the world, we're going to struggle with identity and destiny and purpose. And we're going to struggle with hope. I've got one life in this world. And something happened to me or something was done to me or I missed this opportunity and now my life's ruined. We have all the pressures that come with that to then seek solace in other things and to seek solace in our own ways of finding solutions or to seek hope or purpose or destiny or identity in the stuff around us. But you have a second address. You don't just live in the world. You live in Christ And in Christ, your identity is that you're adopted. Your identity is that you're accepted. Your identity is that you're approved by God. Your identity is that you're designed and your life is designed for a purpose. That you're to live for him. You're made by him. You're delighted in by him. Who are you? I'm in Christ. Adopted, approved, delighted in, designed. That's who you are. You're in Christ in the world. If you were just in the world, do you see how the world would squeeze you and try to mold you and shape you and ultimately cause you to to be left feeling, well, who am I? As everything keeps changing and yet you're in Christ in the world. And that gives you a sense of who you are. Your destiny. You're in Christ. Your destiny is heaven. Your destiny is to be with Christ, which is better by far. Your purpose is that you're in Christ. You do what he does. You live for him where he's placed you. And your hope for along the way is that he goes with you in everything. You're in him. He doesn't abandon you. He walks with you in the dark valleys and in the hard places. He's there. Don't forget your primary address because this world will punch and, and batter us and leave us re- reeling and rocking from all these different angles. But if we remember that we're in Christ, these areas which our world is, is so volatile in, we have a security, for we have the answers already. And that's why we need to remember our two locations. One keeps us safe and secure while we live in the other. In Christ in the world. That saves us from either withdrawing from the world or immersing ourselves in the world. Our place is primarily in Christ. And then secondly, because we're in Christ, we live with three certainties. And Jesus sets out those three certainties for us here. So that in me you may have peace. Certainty number one. Certainty number two. In the world you will have trouble. Certainty number three. Take heart, I have overcome the world. 
So, first one, you have peace. You have peace. doesn't mean the absence of conflict, but it means peace in the midst of it. Don't think Jesus is talking here about the peace we have with God. Communion particularly reminds us that we have peace with God. God has dealt with our sin. We're no longer his enemies. We're his children. Therefore, having been justified through faith, we have peace with God, Paul writes in Romans 5, 1. But Philippians, Paul writes in Philippians 4, verse 7, that there's a peace from God which guards our hearts and minds. And that's uh, most likely the peace that Jesus is referring to here. God's own peace. He said uh, in John uh, fourteen twenty seven, My peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. Our lack of peace comes because we don't know the future and we don't control the present. The future is uncertain and the present is all over the place. But Jesus says, my father, your father, has all that under control. So you can have peace. You can have peace in Christ in this world. In a sense, each of these three uh, certainties are tied to those phrases, in Christ, in the world, and in Christ, in the world. In Christ, we have peace. He's the Prince of Peace, promised in Isaiah 9. He's the giver of peace, John 14, 27. It's the peace that he himself has. This is a peace that is real. A peace that we've seen under pressure in this upstairs room where they've been. And now heading towards Gethsemane. And Jesus is at peace. He was at peace when Judas was going to go and betray him. He was at peace when he was predicting that the disciples would run away. He was at peace just a verse or two ago when he says that they will be scattered and that he will be left alone. He was at peace all through his life. He was at peace when he was in the boat in the storm and the disciples were panicking. Why was he at peace? Why was he sleeping during the storm? Because he knew there was nothing to worry about. His father in heaven is life mapped out for him. And he knew that he didn't need to worry and panic. And that's the peace that Jesus promises. That in me, you may have peace. I want us to note a couple of things before we leave this certainty. You may have peace. You may have peace. It's not automatic. It's not automatic. That's not because his peace is uncertain. But you see what he says in verse 33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. The peace is tied to the things they've been told. The peace is tied to believing the things that they've been told. To realizing that the things that Jesus has set out for them are true. A failure to heed these things is going to bring about a lack of peace. That's why we sang from Psalm 119, Great peace have they who keep your law, or who keep your word, 
who hear your word and believe it. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. There's a believing of the things that have been told us. And the peace that is promised here is tied to believing and heeding what Jesus has just said. He doesn't need to ask the Father to love you. The Father himself loves you. He's going to prepare a place for you. Because he's going, he's sending the Spirit to be with you. He's not just sending the Spirit. Because you love him, he and the Father love you and will come and take up their abode with you. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Think of the peace that would come to us if we would believe these statements. That the mighty God who rules the universe is our Father. That he himself loves us. That he has sent the Holy Spirit to work in us and to work through us. Think of the peace that would come. This is the outflow of being in Christ. We're in him. We're secure. We're delighted in by the Father because we're in Christ. We're indwelt by the Spirit because we're in Christ. So we should have peace. We can have peace. And so maybe we need to, to go to God at times and say, Lord, help me to believe these things. Let me go back over these things and see which of them I've stopped believing so that I can have peace in this world. Second certainty, you have trouble. This is the outflow of living in the world. We have trouble. In this world, you have suffering. You will have trouble. In fact, it's not just a a future prediction, it's just a present reality, the way Jesus puts it. In this world, you have trouble. And the word trouble means, uh, it could also be translated tribulation. It's not just that you've stubbed your toe and that it's sore. Um, It's pressure. It's a word that's used of treading grapes in the wine press. It's a word that's used of being pushed to breaking point. It's a word that means being under enormous pressure. And Jesus is saying, look, this is what comes. This This is a certainty. Don't be surprised. These are Satan's last writhings. He's defeated We'll see that in a moment. But he's still causing trouble. It's a bit like wasps at the end of the summer. And they're just crawling around the place half dead, stinging everything in sight. Well, Satan's half dead. He's defeated. The end is close for him. And he's just going around causing trouble. He can't get you out of the Father's hand. He can't wrench you out of being in Christ. But he can batter you in the world. We're not immune from the brokenness of life. We're not immune from temptation from Satan. We're not immune from hostility from the world. You have trouble in this world. But yet, we're in Christ in the world. A bit like Noah in the ark. It's very different from being Outside the ark. You know, I'm sure Noah in the ark with all those animals and 
all the, the work that needed done and the, the, the heat and the, the stench um, and the, the wind and the waves and the, 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 just the, the rocking and the motion and all of that. I'm sure inside the ark wasn't the most comfortable place in the world. It wasn't a cruise liner. But he's in the ark. Everybody else on the face of the earth is outside the ark and dead. No one is family are in the ark. And it mightn't have been the greatest party in the world in some ways, but they're alive in the ark. The world is in trouble. In the ark, they're safe. And we are in Christ in the world. In this world, you will have trouble. It keeps us from being too fond of the world. It keeps us reminded that we don't belong to the world. You know, Jesus has said earlier, he speaks about grief that the disciples have. And that was particularly the grief of the shock of the crucifixion. But we saw on Thursday night that that grief does extend to us. There's a sorrow in living in this world that's there. We have trouble. We don't expect heaven whenever you've got two addresses. One of your addresses is the world. It will be hard. But here's the third certainty. The third certainty then, not you have peace, you have trouble, but you have victory. You have victory. Take heart. The next phrase starts. But take heart or courage. It's the word that Jesus uses whenever he's coming walking in the water to the disciples and they think he's a ghost and he says, courage. He shouts at them as they're, they're about to panic. Or it's the word that's also used uh, for the paralyzed man and for the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. And Jesus says to them, take heart or cheer up. Your faith has healed you. Cheer up. Could be translated. Don't get down about this. Take heart. Take courage. Cheer up. Jesus says, why? I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. It's already done. It's as certain as the trouble. The trouble is present. The peace is present. The victory is present and ongoing and unchanging. The particular tense that's used means that the victory is and will continue to be. The trouble, it just is. The victory is and continues to be. It's already done. He's already won. All the temptation, all the world could throw at your Saviour, he's defeated it. And you're in him. The victory has happened. We see it at the life of Jesus. There was victory as he lived day after day for you. He has overcome the world and all its testing, Satan and all his temptations, every day of his life in perfect godliness. And then in his death and resurrection, we see his victory over sin and Satan and death, where he's taken our punishment and paid for it. The victory is not in doubt. It's already happened. It's won. We're not waiting to hear the final score. We know the final score. Jesus says... I have overcome. And here really is the intersection between in Christ and in the world. 
In Christ, we have peace. In the world, we have trouble where they intersect. We've got victory. Victory is ours. We're on the winning side already. And this is to give the disciples hope. It's to give us hope so that we don't give in or give up. Give in to temptation. We don't have to. We can resist it because Christ has overcome and we're in Christ. And he'll supply us with life-giving strength because he's placed his Holy Spirit in us. And we don't need to give up because what's the point in giving up? Why would you give up following Jesus? The victory has been won. What a, what a futile thing. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And you might say, well, what good is that? Jesus has overcome the world. But you and I are in Christ. And our Savior, in whom we are, he is risen. Um, Charles Simeon uh, put it this way. And I don't know. Now, Charles Simeon was uh, a minister in Oxford. But quite what he was doing, using this as an illustration, or how this came to him as an illustration, I don't know. You'll understand when I, when I read it. My dear brother, we must not mind a little suffering for Christ's sake. When I am getting through a hedge... What? Anyway, when I am getting through a hedge, if my head and shoulders are safely through, I can bear the prickling of my legs... Let us rejoice in the remembrance that our holy head has surmounted all his suffering and triumphed over death. Let us all follow him patiently. We shall soon be partakers of his victory. We shall soon be partakers of victory. The head has gone through. The body and legs are following him. We can put up with a little jagging and scraping and prickling. The head is through. He's triumphed. Charles Spurgeon says, This is a glorious sentence spoken by the greatest conqueror that has ever lived, in whom all his people shall yet be more than conquerors. You have victory. Spurgeon goes on and says, Let us consider that every battlefield to which God calls us is only another opportunity of victory. And Christ being with us, another certainty of victory. I love that. Let us consider that every battlefield to which God calls us is only another opportunity for victory and another certainty for victory because Christ is with us. If we only remember our second address that we're in the world, we'll be defeated in those battlefields. If we remember that we're in Christ and that he is in us and the Holy Spirit is in us and God the Father is in us, then it's not only an opportunity for victory, there's another certainty of victory. Wow! You have victory. Being in Christ and in the world, remembering those two things, brings victory for God's people. And Paul says it's more than victory. In Romans 8, 37, he says, we are more than conquerors. We are hyper-conquerors through him who loved us. The world throws everything at us. Satan throws all he can at us. And what happens? We don't simply defeat it, but God uses it 
for our good and for his glory. Grief is turned into joy, as we saw on Thursday night. As we saw last week in Habakkuk 3, the weapons that were designed to pierce us are turned on the enemy and turned to our prophet. You know, John, as we read in John 5, has clearly been stewing on these words of Jesus and turning them over in his mind. He says, Everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Isn't that what Jesus has said? The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. He says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. And in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John says, who is it that overcomes the world? Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. In other words, sent from the Father. John's thinking about the victory. He's been imprisoned. He's seen the other apostles being executed. He says, but we're on the winning side. Nothing can defeat us. You have the victory. And as we sat at the Lord's table today, we're reminded that we've got peace. Not simply peace with God, but peace from God. Because God says, sit down and eat so that you can be equipped to live for me. Sit down. Sit. Rest a minute. I'm going to provide for you. I provided my son. I'll not come short in anything else. Oh, we're reminded that there's trouble too. His body was broken and his blood was shed. He spreads a table for us in the presence of our foes. But we're reminded too of the victory because we only sit at the Lord's table until he comes. Until he comes. And as we, as we take the broken bread and the, the wine, we're reminded that his body didn't stay broken and his blood didn't stay shed. That he returned to life. And we are on the winning side. You have peace in Christ. In the world you have trouble. But as we remember that we are in Christ in the world. Take heart. For he has overcome the world. Amen. Let's stand as we come to God in prayer. O Lord God, thank you for our second address that's now our primary address, our main address, that we're in Christ. Thank you that you don't just leave us as inhabitants of this world, but that you give us a new location, that we are joined to Jesus, that we are connected to him, that we belong to him, and that being in Christ, we're already victorious. We're already on the winning side. And those who are in Christ live. And Father, we pray that you would help us to remember our vital connection, our life-giving connection to Jesus. So that we do not simply focus on the world and its troubles and pressures and the temptations we have to face. And the hostility that we have to bear. And all of those things that seem to be so much in our face. But Jesus has told us that he has told us these things. 
so that we might have peace in a troublesome world, so that we might take courage because the victory is ours. So help us to hear the things that he said and to believe the things that he's told us. Help us to trust him and to live for him as we leave this communion time. Feed us and nourish us, Lord God, we pray. Guard us from temptation. Guard us from that arch liar, the devil, who would come to us and say, well, you have to give in. Who would say to us, this is just the way you are. You've got to compromise in this world. No, Lord, help us to believe that we're in Christ and that the He who is with us is stronger than he who is against us. And not only are we in Christ, but Christ is in us. And he who resisted Satan is there in us to equip us to resist temptation. Father, help us. Help us when we get discouraged to remember that we have the victory already. Whenever we watch the news and we get filled with doubt, Help us to remember and take heart that Christ has overcome the world. The news is just a pointless piece of information because there is a fact that precedes the news that Christ has already won. And, O oh Lord God, uh, help us uh, as we live in this world to be filled with hope because of all that Christ has done. Help us to live for him and to love him, not to give in or give up. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.